0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Disruptive Innovation podcast, the place where we keep you informed about emerging technologies, innovation, and the global trends that are changing the world of business. I'm your host, Nikisa Meodza, and with me always, Mike Grandinetti. Today's episode is all about insurtech and how the space is evolving at an incredible pace. We're all familiar with companies like Oscar, a company that's disrupting your health insurance, and Lemonade, uh, who's disrupting the rental and personal insurance space. Today, we're going to be talking to a company that's focused on small businesses and businesses in general. Uh, Next Insurance is based out of uh, San Francisco, and we are lucky to have Alex Scheer uh, on the line to talk to us about what Next Insurance is doing.
1: I had the privilege of meeting Alex through a mutual business associate, a woman by the name of Barbara Ingram, Mm -hmm. who's a managing director at Verisk. And Verisk Is a very interesting company. They have created a contributory database for the insurance industry. So long before big data was hot, uh, the insurance industry was all about data. And so Barbara is a member of the Rutgers Leading Disruptive Innovation Advisory Board, along with Nikiso, two of my key advisors. And so I had to ask Barbara if she could introduce me to some really cool insurance tech companies. Fantastic. And she introduced me to Alex Shear, who is the head of the data science team at Next Insurance based in San Francisco. And I was privileged enough to have Alex and Barbara join me for a class this summer. And my students were so blown away by it. I wanted to kind of reprise that discussion in consolidated form and share it with a broader audience. So, Alex, excellent. With that, uh, if you would be so kind, maybe just share a little bit about your background with our listeners to get us started.
2: Sure, I'll be. I would love to. I started with the in the technical field. Uh, I got my PhD in machine learning, focusing on computer vision, object recognition, and robotics. Uh, And then after that, I went into the industry, first half of my career is mostly dealing with uh, kind of raw signal level data in clean tech. So dealing with uh, electric vehicle, kind of battery tech, uh, energy signatures, you know, working with utility companies. The second half of my career has been mostly focusing on, you know, making AI and machine learning impactful, you know, at an organization perspective, at, at an organization level, and then kind of growing, you know, the team and the influence of data science.
1: That's great. So when you went for your PhD originally, were you thinking you might potentially be an academic or work in the field of research, or did you always intend to take this education with you into industry?
2: Uh, I think from the get-go, I know I wanted to go to industry, uh, but knowing the field, at least my limited knowledge back then, you know, my guess was the, the field would evolve to a certain degree that you would need a technical, know-how in order to lead, you know, this kind of movement.
1: Okay. So pretty big transition from sort of clean energy, clean tech to the insurance industry. So talk about, you know, what, it, what was it that led you to this sector and specifically to next?
2: Great question. Uh, I, I made a leap there because I know it's a very different uh, industry and, you know, type of data, even from a technical perspective, um, that's. You know, I, I wanted to be more consumer-centric, uh, to consumer-facing. Uh, you know, with clean tech, a lot of times the the modeling is done behind the scenes, uh, so you don't get that immediate feedback from from you know from the user. Whereas, um, you know, insurance is, itself is a space that's not very sexy, but then you know the the vision is there. I see we can take it uh, to a place where you know it's user-friendly. Uh, there is uh, machine learning and model enable features, you know, across the board, you know, integrated smoothly into the user experience. So that's kind of where I see the, the, uh, the opportunity for disruption and then to do something unique.
1: So, I mean, Next has a very interesting business model, right? And, and of course, you know, I'm going to let you describe, but, you know, you are focused on providing, insurance to small businesses, right? And, and clearly there's been a lot of friction. There's been a lot of gaps, a lot of challenges, and quite frankly, a pretty horrific user experience. So how would you describe the challenges and the gaps today? And what was the sort of the founding vision that Next had to sort of improve this
2: experience? Sure. So a, a quick background on the company. Uh, Next insurance, we sell business insurance, so commercial insurance to small and medium businesses. So our typical audience, you know is uh businesses with less than ten employees um and this market uh what uh you know the 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 census would describe as uh small medium businesses is a kind of hundred and forty billion dollar in uh industry and mm-hmm. the bulk of the you know the insurance is actually sold through agents. so this is there's a kind of a traditional shackle there to um uh, human uh, and uh, as a result the innovation doesn't really come fast so you know for example the the market is extremely fa- uh, fragmented because of this uh you know the local in- agency, uh, insurance agency networks kind of dominate uh, the field but then each of them because of that geographic limitations becomes uh, they, they can't get quite large and then as a result they don't get ha- have that scale to really innovate. Uh, for example, the top six uh, carriers in the in the in, in the field only com- uh, you know com- comprise of you know thirty percent of the of the revenue or, or the market, which is a very so incredibly rare. fragmented marketplace. <laughs> yeah,
1: and as you said, right, the, the traditional approach has been to sell through brokers and you know, it's an intermediary that that certainly adds a lot of cost and and time latency to the process, but doesn't necessarily add a lot of value, right? So when I think a lot of the very successful uh, current companies, the direct-to-consumer companies, Mm -hmm. whether it be a company like Dollar Shave Club or Warby Parker or Chewy, you know, the the company that provisions uh, stuff for your dogs, right? You take out the middle person, uh, you've got a direct relationship with the customer, and you're able to provide a very different experience. So so it seems like, you know, that's, that's a model that's been proven, but you're applying uh, some very sophisticated technology to make that model work in your sector.
2: Correct, yeah. It, I think our main, the di- main difference between you know, something like Bobby Parker um, you know, versus commercial insurance is the product itself, the product that we're selling is actually very, very complex. Um, it, it's highly differentiated across different industries, across different uh, characteristics of the business. So, for example, a business can have uh, employees, which means they would need one kind of insurance. If they have uh, vehicles, they would need another kind. If they have property, they would need another, another kind. Uh, and, you know, and if you're talking about contractors versus uh, teachers, accountants, doctors, lawyers, they all have different needs. Uh, you know, there are regulatory bodies that govern everything. So the product itself is highly complex. So uh, to do this, I mean, we're talking about it as if the the disruption is, uh, the vision is easy. It's implementation and execution is actually quite difficult.
1: Yeah. And I'm imagining it's difficult on a variety of dimensions, which we're definitely going to get into, including, you know, finding talent uh, to join your data science team in an incredibly, you know, voracious market for talent and. Very expensive market for talent. So it sounds like, and I and I love here you are, you're a PhD from Berkeley, and yet you're thinking about the the an improvement of the customer experience, right? So when we think about the before and after story, right, tell people a little bit about what it's like before next insurance for a small business to purchase relevant insurance and what it's like now for that same individual with your new business model.
2: Sure. Um, so traditionally, a business owner would go to a broker or an agent or a human, uh, and in order to get a quote, they would need to fill out uh, a lot of times even on paper, um, you know, several pages of questions. And the, the broker or the agent would then take this to whatever uh, uh, underwriting uh, provider they use and then get back to the customer you know, in a day or two. Uh, so you know you wouldn't even get a quote on the same day, and then after a day or two, then the the customer can um, decide to purchase, you know, put down the credit card or write the check, and then the binding process, basically getting that uh, policy uh, in place uh, effective, that's another kind of department, another process. You know, that takes typically you know, three to three days to a week. And then by the time, you know, there's the policy, it, it, you know, maybe two weeks have passed already. And then after they become, you know, they have the policy, you know, additional changes or services they need, for example, getting a proof of insurance, you know, to show their uh, job partners or, you know, to get mortgage. You know, a lot of times you need property insurance. To get that kind of uh, certificate, you need to go through the agent again. And some of the agents will even charge you additional uh, kind of uh, let's say $5 or $10 a, a pop uh, to, to do that. So, you know, that's kind of the traditional way. And so we're
1: talking about, you know, as you said, small business owners that have way too many things to do. Right. And this is just a hassle it's just burden on their shoulders. It's just another thing they have to worry about. And it's something that persists over a couple of weeks. And so now you come in, right. And we're going to get into the specifics of how you do it technologically, you know, after our first break, but now that you're able to sort of intervene, you're able to, you know, deal directly with that, the insured, what's changed for them? How have you changed their lives?
2: I mean, the, the vision is to make the flow. Uh, I think there are three aspects that we, we want to tackle. Uh, one is uh, simplicity. So the, the agent does provide a level of simplicity or abstraction from the, the complexity by providing a one-stop shop. So if the, user, if the customer needs, you know, three or different four uh, insurance products under the hood, the agents will be the one to kind of bundle them together for the customer. So we wanted to at least um, uh, kind of maintain that level of simplicity, being a one-stop shop for the user. But then uh, adding on top the ability for them to self-service, you know, after they become a customer, any additional modifications or services they need, we will have a portal for them to go and self-service themselves. Uh, the second uh, aspect we want to um, kind of provide for the user is for the experience to be tailored. So a lot of times the traditional uh, carriers would sell a cookie-cutter kind of a, a policy that covers everything, but then also means the user is paying for everything. Um, so we want to make sure uh, the user can customize their both the experience, so that speaks to, for example, number of questions they need to answer to get a quote, uh, and also their coverage. And then the third, of, of course, is kind of the pricing. We want to make make it affordable, you know, cheap, uh, no hidden fees. Uh, you know, cancellation fees is, is a big deal in the uh, industry. So we want to make sure um, the user has that level of flexibility too. You know, if they, for example. Run out of, you know, their business ended or they're put on hold, they can stop and go. So those are the three aspects. I'll
0: focus. On. Yeah, so Alex, just um, what, what um, what's fascinating about what you're you're talking about is that, you know, obviously we're talking about small businesses. I, I think the the entire insurtech space is really an, an interesting one. Uh, I think Oscar Health being one of the ones that started it off that most people will recognize. Uh, and then one of my favorites, which is Lemonade, right? That's made that process really simple for anybody who needs renter's insurance or homeowner's insurance. Um, but obviously all of these things take a lot of data. And I know Mike was alluding to, we'll get into some of the some of the details after the break. But I'm sort of curious if, um, you know, where do you see, uh, you, you know, next relative to uh, the, the, the landscape in terms of this, this space? I mean, where, where do you guys sit? Uh, how, how far do you think you have penetration in terms of what you're doing thus far?
2: Yeah, I think the, the vendors or the companies you mentioned, they're all in the personal space. Uh, so commercial and personal are actually quite different. Uh, there has been a lot of innovation in the personal side. Uh, for example, Lemonade has chatbots to help you to guide you through the quote experience. When you file a claim, you can do a video kind of application. There will be some uh, machine learning algorithms that try to detect fraud uh, in your facial expression. Uh, but, then, but that's on the uh, um, the personal side, where the product itself is not that uh, complicated. Uh, there's no complexity that comes from you know the different business needs. Or the different business types. Um, when we go to commercial, it becomes um, the data becomes more scarce just because uh, there are less SMBs than people. <laughs> um, but then there are also more segregate segregation in terms of the you know business types, uh, business needs that that were not there for for personal. So the the two the, the comparison of the two is definitely not on the same scale. But we do try to Uh, It is still a big market. So I think we, uh, from the SMB side, uh, we are, I think we are definitely on the way there. We are, we're seeing, um, I guess, kind of an inflection point in terms of hitting um, momentum, you know, having that brand uh, awareness. uh, A part of it is educating the public that you can get commercial insurance online. You know, they're so used to getting it through a person, uh, agent, that they don't even bother going online and
0: check. Fantastic. So, uh, Alex, we're going to take a break and come back. I definitely would love to tease uh, more on that. And and certainly, yes, the distinction between the the personal space and the commercial one is is really interesting, particularly when you talk about that data set you were talking about before. Uh, So uh, we'll come back from break and we'll jump into it. This week's topics are brought to you by Rutgers University and its leading disruptive innovation certificate program. At Rutgers, we bring together industry thought leaders, and top academic faculty to help you develop your understanding of a range of topics and skills to proficiently navigate the turbulent environment and emerge with a competitive advantage. For more information and to enroll in the leading disruptive innovation program, visit li.rutgers.edu. All right, we're back from break. Uh, so, Alex, we were talking about uh, the, the data being really important at the end of uh, the, the in the beginning of the first episode, the first segment. Uh, talk to us a little bit about um, about you know how you actually do this. I know that Mike's going to get into some of those questions, but I'd love to hear your your thoughts on um, on on data itself and the data gathering and the data mining and and how this whole thing works because of because of data.
2: Yeah, I, I think you know any kind of machine learning, data modeling, you, you need data. So this is a key question to ask. Um, our, our, um, a belief is, uh, we, you know, you can buy data, you can get proxy data, uh, from third party. Mm -hmm. Um, but our belief is, uh, the the best data is the real kind of data that you will get in production. Uh, the, the ones that will really speak to your actual target audience. So what we do is typically we bootstrap a minimum viable product MVP. Uh, A lot of times it's, Mm -hmm. um, Kind of uh, let's say copied or um, mimicked from uh, uh, competitors. We we have a f- only have a few competitors, but they're out there. You know they have maybe two or three years on us, uh, and we let's say we okay. copy their uh, business flow, kind of their some of their underwriting uh, flows. Um, we work with partners, so this is where Verisk was uh, instrumental. Help. They they ha- they are kind of the industry data giant. That give us, uh, uh-huh. for example, the what we call in the industry called loss costs. You know, for every uh, activities that the uh, the business does, they have uh, kind of a, a accurate at the ag- uh, aggregate level um, costs uh, evaluation that we can apply to our businesses. So we take those and we put it into the MVP and we start selling it using our own uh, customer experience. And then after a while, you know, after six months or so, then we revisit and then use that data to um, iterate.
1: Yeah. And so Alex, this is where I think it starts to get very Hmm. interesting for our listeners because you are, you know, on the bleeding edge of applying machine learning and, and AI, as you said, to have impact in the business world. Right. And so when I think about what you're doing, right, it's a lot like what Steve Jobs did, right? You take this device, which we call the iPhone. And in 2007, right? Stunning simplicity, but the technology behind it to deliver the capability was startling. And in many ways, that's what you're doing, right? You're trying to take a process, you know, uh, applying for and securing small business insurance, and you're trying to make it something that is incredibly simple to get. And yet at the same time, You know, it's very customized. It's very complex. And I know that in the past you've spoken about one of your personas is a personal trainer. Another persona is the head of a small construction outfit, right? So on the one hand, you're masking a lot of this complexity from the customer. But under the hood, there's a tremendous amount of advanced technology being used, machine learning, data science, analytics. And if you could describe a little bit about how you know, you're able to use these advanced technologies and again you were the first guy on the on the beach right you you were the, you were the sole employee of the data science department that's evolved over time It's still a small team. So can you talk a little bit about the process you went through of implementing these advanced technologies sort of one phase at a time to get to where you are today
2: yeah so I think we we were pretty clear on the goal. Uh, I I mean I'm taking uh, I, I think we're pretty deep on talking about let's say the quote process. Um, you know, answering a lot of questions—that was the the status quo or the traditional way. You answer a lot of questions, which gives which gives the carrier a lot of information to price the risk appropriately. But then that was not a good uh, customer experience, and so that's where we—that's maybe uh, the industry started. And then we want to head to a place where the user gives kind of minimal uh, information. Just the basics that, so we can kind of pre-fill or gather everything else that we need from outside sources or through telematics or uh, things like that, and then still be able to achieve reasonable approximation of that good um, pricing uh, model uh, that we men- That I mentioned. So that's kind of the goal. To get there, of course we don't we don't jump there. So we take kind of iterative steps. So let's say we first notice uh, revenue or number of employees is a very, the, the biggest driver in terms of um, getting uh, the pricing model accurate. Then we'll try to see uh, what shortcuts can we take to, for example, cut the question or maybe in the UI, how do we uh, uh, guide the user so that they, they can answer those questions more, uh, more easily? Um, so I would say it's an iterative uh, process where we, we're peeling the onion, right? So it's the lowest hanging fruit uh, that will give us the biggest bang of the buck, uh, mm-hmm. you know, biggest impact. And then we, 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 we will go brainstorm. You know? we, we go to different data vendors. We go to see our own data, whether we can find, let's say, similar users that, pro- that provide us you know, with their information and whether we can use their information to kind of infer well, this user would upset so this is more of an approach you know for example netflix takes when they make uh, movie recommendations right so we, we can we can borrow that and then, right okay uh kind of maybe maybe uh, ease the the burden on on the user you filling know, out so many questions all right
1: so when you think about the build versus buy question um you know you can go to a lot of general purpose companies like amazon and they've got very much packaged machine learning capabilities right built into AWS or you can build your own so can you talk about how you think about that
2: um my experience here says uh always evaluate the buy first um <laughs> uh, typically okay. typically yeah. it's since it's, it's, it's a hard problem the build is going to consider you know con- consume a lot of resources and time so um always we, we've always uh, evaluated the buy option, uh, but then if you know it requires a very uh, committed contract, then uh, the, the bill becomes more of a, a preference.
1: Okay. And so have you have you had to build a lot of your own though at this point? Has that been an important part of how you've created your solution? Uh,
2: we have. Uh, so we actually started out with a lot of the buy decisions. So I, I, I can allude to, for example, Uh, Industry standard of doing background checks, uh, doing credit checks, uh, both on the personal and the consumer side, uh, doing, you know, uh, for example, bankruptcy checks, uh, doing uh, violations. So these are all industry standards. Uh, We can go and get the data ourselves and build the model. But then there are companies out there that have, first of all, access to the data and also have access to uh, claims data that we don't have yet so they can make that correlation they, they can have that kind of correlation factor between uh, all these features and the the risk and the claims so we we first bought a lot of these products uh, but then only signed on for you know uh, monthly or kind of a one-year one year commitment and then once we have collected enough, enough information then we will go and at this point we have built out a lot of those uh, ourselves.
1: Okay. So we're winding down quickly. So I want to just, you know, for the benefit of our listeners now, right? Because there's so much of a struggle uh, to one hire a data science team, right? The 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 scarcity of talent, the scarcity of of uh, you know, skills and the the economics of acquiring that talent. What advice can you share with our listeners based on your experience over several years? Of one building out a team and then you know creating a solution using AI and machine learning that our listeners might be able to benefit from some of the the mistakes you've made, some of the key learnings that you've had.
2: Um, hiring is always a tough, <laughs> tough question or a tough uh, problem, uh, especially we, we we are here in San Francisco uh, where the the problem is a little bit more exacerbated, just because the, the talent, the demand is so high. Uh, I would say uh, rely on referral networks is a, is a key. Uh-huh. Um, uh, ex- Exploit the current networks that you have. That's number one, I think. Well, number two is uh, to uh, front load the interview process as much as possible. Basically, put the burden on the um, not a burden, but make uh, almost make the inter- interview process a little bit self service on the uh, the applicant side. So for example, one example, if you put out a uh, challenging problem, uh, let's say machine learning or data science problem, for everybody to view as a prerequisite to send uh, you know, their solutions as a, as a part of their job application. So then they can kind of, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, you, you get a self-selection of uh, people that are committed. And then they also right away get an assessment of their skills that you can move, that you can make a better decision whether to, you know, move it on to the next step uh, a little early on. So you, you require less, you basically cast the wider net uh, at, uh, with, with minimal effort.
1: Okay. And then last question, uh, Alex, and we'll, we'll wrap this discussion up. We really appreciate your time today. Um, what's, the, what's the vision for next long-term? Where, where do you hope to see this business go?
2: Um, the vision is, you know, like like, like I mentioned, the, the values that we have, you know, being simple, being one-stop shop, uh, being tailored, and being affordable, right? So we're going to keep pushing the boundaries on these, you know. One-stop shop means we have uh, all the pro- insurance products that user will ever need. Right now, we're not there. We are maybe 20, 30% of the way there. Uh, but um, so from a product perspective, we're always building. From a tailor perspective, we're using uh, this is where machine learning actually comes in very handy. Uh, for example, one example I can talk about is uh, a feature where we can analyze. Let's say a user comes to us; they already have a policy. They want to kind of get a cheaper policy with us, but with the same coverage. We can use uh, AI mm-hmm. and uh, you know OCR and natural language processing to. Read through their do- uh, document, policy document, automatically, and figure out. Okay, we need to give them this. Uh, they they have this kind of coverage, which matches with you know our product in this way. You know, with these modifications. So let's tailor made the uh, the product to them, and then they can be guaranteed to have the same uh, coverage uh, existing with the existing policy. Um, so those kind of uh, machine learning enabled features. Can get us to the tailored with uh, you know minimal human cost, and then being affordable. Um, this is more speaking on how can we identify risk. So this is you know if, if we can um, better predict who will be risky, then the majority of the public can get a you know big price discount just because we we're better at uh, you know fraud or uh, claim risk identification.
0: Well, Alex, thank you very much for your time. Uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, I think we're going to leave it there, just uh, in the interest of time. Uh, thank you for joining us today, and uh, we wish you and Next Insurance uh, the best of luck in the future.
1: Alex, thanks again for taking time, and I know how uh, fast paced the world is out in Silicon Valley, and uh, really appreciate you sharing your insights thank you with you for us having today.
0: Me. Fantastic. Let's take a break. Okay, this is the part where we talk about you. Yes, you. Midway through each show, we take a break from informing listeners about all the amazing things going on in the world of business and technology to personally deliver your message to our innovation-driven, industry-leading listeners. If you'd like to be a part of the show and become a sponsor of the segment, then reach out to Mike and Nikiso at thisiscool@disruptiveinnovationpodcast.com at or thisisdeep@disruptiveinnovation.info. <laughs> reach out to us and we'll get you on the show. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Uh, so that fantastic conversation with uh, Alex Shearer talking about Next Insurance, Mike, uh, I thought that, uh, you know, it's certainly interesting to see that now, uh, even within the small business space, uh, I'd be curious to see how many big insurance companies start to create models or start to work on on things like that since companies like Next Insurance are, are coming for them.
1: Yeah, it's going to be very difficult for them because, you know, they've, they've been living this business model, this broker-based intermediary business model forever. Mm-hmm and it's it's one of these strategic choices that's very difficult to unwind it's very much like you know an organization that built thousands and thousands of you know brick and mortar retail stores yeah And they're now holding leases on all these stores and they've got to think about what do we do next?
0: Yeah. And the the most, uh, the other thing that's interesting is just these companies, the traditional ones, they, you know, it's almost as if some of them don't realize just how much data they have. So in, in some ways they potentially could jumpstart uh, and, and, you know, get their thing, get their engines going and go after the the disruptors that are disrupting them.
1: They could. And as you know, this is one of the challenges of, of big old companies is the willingness, the courage to disrupt themselves. And. I've worked with a number of insurance companies where I've incu- I've helped them incubate their fintech and their mm-hmm. insure tech companies outside of the four walls of the company, and they not only do they have to fight the market, right? They often have to fight people within their companies <laughs> who are right. threatened because their bonuses. Let's be honest, people are people, and their bonuses are at risk because. You know, every dollar that the new incubated fintech or insurtech company takes is a dollar out of their their pocket, out of their revenue targets and out of their commission check. So it's a it's an interesting it's a classic challenge. It's it's in every industry.
0: Fantastic. Well, that's a beautiful segue to this uh, part of the show, which is uh, my favorite segment. uh, Three things. So uh, what you got for us this week?
1: Yeah. And so let's let's continue on the theme of older industries that have been around for a long time that mm-hmm. have not been known as being innovative. Let's talk about the automotive industry. Excellent. So let's start off with uh, something that has been in the news a lot over the last few days. General Motors uh, has gone on strike. Yep. And it's the largest work stoppage of any major corporation in as long as anybody can remember. And it's the first time that a Detroit auto company has gone on strike in over ten years. Hmm. Now, to me, it's it's indicative of I think of this is the last gasp, okay. And of course, Ford has shut down, GM, Ford, all of these companies have shut down a lot of factories lately. Yep. Despite the you know buy in America um, you know things that we're hearing out of Washington today these businesses are not run from washington they're run locally and they just are not able to make money they're unable to make money on small cars they've been trying in america to make money on small cars since the oil embargo in 1973 and 50, 60 years later, they've never figured it out. And they've basically given up.
0: Yeah. And the auto industry is just a fascinating one. So you've got the labor issues with uh, plants that are in Mexico, you know, where m- most of that manufacturing is taking place. You've got uh, companies deciding, uh, you know, American companies mostly deciding to to bypass the hybrid and go straight to electric. So there's a lot of mess over there. It's just, uh, it's yeah. completely upside down.
1: It's just chaos, right? It's chaos. And in the, in the executives in Detroit are so in general, overwhelmed by the level of innovation that is happening. So let's talk about just the Frankfurt Auto Show just happened. So let's talk about a couple of highlights. There's a very interesting company called Rivian, R-I-V-I-A-N. And Rivian just happens to be based in Detroit and Rivian is a company that is building next generation, one hundred percent electric Electrical. pickup
0: trucks. Have you seen that the the, the the photo of that? It's a square looking oh, yeah. car, right? Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, they're I mean, beautiful. That... They're very what? beautifully designed cars. Futuristic.
1: Yeah, so they're they're both an SUV. Yeah. And a you know and a, a classic American pickup truck. Great example. And Mike. and the founder, who is an MIT PhD, mm-hmm. um, you know, said he is going to prove to the public. That, you know, whatever they've been hearing out of Detroit, that no, no Americans ever going to want an electric vehicle as Mm -hmm. as a, as a big pickup or utility is just plain wrong. And, and clearly uh, smart investors are backing them. Yeah. So they just walked away with another $350 million. They'd already raised a significant amount of money from the Ford Motor Company and from Amazon. Mm -hmm. And they're building a prototype that Amazon wants to use as their next gen delivery vehicle. There you go. So Rivian raised money this time from Cox Enterprises. And and a lot of us, you know, we know Cox because they're a cable TV company, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they have a lot of interests in the auto industry. So they own Kelly Blue Book. They own the car auction company Mannheim Group. So I think it's a very astute investment. And we've now seen the valuation of Rivian go up to about three and a half billion dollars. So they're disrupting Detroit while building their company in Detroit.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong, Mike. The car is actually supposed to be the prototype. Is supposed to be on the road next year.
1: It is, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That's and this has fantastic. been a ten
1: year journey. So the company's about ten years old. But you know, a lot of the technology is starting to catch up. Yeah. To the vision of the company. Yeah, I
0: actually first saw an article about Rivian uh, as a, as a sidebar because it was a comparison between the founder and Musk, uh, Elon Musk with, with Tesla, and the the article I think said something about. Um, You know, while Musk has been publicly doing this and going after Detroit, this guy's been quietly working on this technology because even the EV technology he's using is pretty sophisticated uh, and supposed to be further ahead, um, which harkens back to makes me think about the conversation and, you know, and our experience this week with the uh, Titans of Tech, uh, the China piece. And we've talked about auto and, and China and all the disruption there. So. I think Rivian is a fantastic one, and if anybody wants to, you know, that, look that one up, that that's a good one to to definitely read up on.
1: Yeah, and let me pick up exactly on the point you just raised. So Nikiso and I were over at MIT on Monday night. We had a Tech Titans of China event, and and there's no question that China is investing heavily from a from a public policy point of view. They have their Made in China 2025 initiative. They have a clearly stated goal of being the AI leader in the world, bar none, by 2030. Mm-hmm. But they are by far now the largest single market for automobiles. Yep. And China has really gotten religion on emissions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a significant number of new automobiles being purchased in China are electric vehicles. And there are literally over a dozen Chinese electric car companies that are now competing. Right. Um, and a lot of the companies, the incumbents, like the Volkswagens, that used to be able to take for granted that they could sell in China. Uh, are getting their heads handed to them, yeah. As they compete with a whole range of homegrown Chinese companies, uh, Neo being maybe one of the most most well known. Yeah. Now, yeah. what's very interesting is China has become the leader in car batteries. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of the European companies have been dependent on China, and this is really the core IP. So, if you're abdicating, you know, um, leadership. Yeah. IP ownership around car batteries, you are basically forfeiting your future. So there is an issue here, which is very significant, and there's a Swedish startup. Mm -hmm. And the Swedish startup is called Northvolt. Uh, Is this number two? This is actually number three, because the Chinese thing we just talked about was number two. So Mm -hmm. Northvolt is doing something that is quite remarkable. So the head of Northvolt uh, used to run the global supply chain for Tesla. So he's clearly got some cred, um, and he sees the gap in Europe. That they just don't have anybody fighting the good fight of creating batteries for EVs. Mm-hmm. And so they've launched this company, and of all places, Sweden, we haven't really heard of a Swedish car company since no. Volvo. no. And Volvo, of course, is owned by the Chinese today. Yeah. so you know we've we've got the German automakers are in really in a very precarious place. Um, you're seeing BMW for the first time in ten years, seeing sales decline. And the challenge with Germany, and I hear this from a lot of my German colleagues, my German students, they just, as a country, have been unwilling to disrupt themselves. They've moved very slowly. And this, is, this could be a real catastrophe for the country because this is by far, right, whether it be BMW or Daimler or VW, and then all of the subsystem play, players like Bosch and others, right? Mm-hmm. This is the German economy. Yeah, Germany is a huge export economy. That's what they're known for. Automobiles Auto. yeah. is sort of at the top of the heap, uh, and they are definitely in a very very challenging position today, as they face this onslaught from companies coming out of China, and of course, you know, Tesla as well, and a lot of other leaders, pioneers in the world of electric vehicles. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Europe in general and Germany specifically respond to some of these very existential threats to their their economy.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it, it, to your point of it, it's just about, uh, you know, uh, Volvo being bought out, it's clear that the Chinese are sending a signal that they will go out and acquire whatever they need to in order to advance their efforts. I mean, they're certainly selling those cars here. Uh, So, uh, be curious to see how where where that whole trajectory goes in terms of the next generation of cars that start to come our in our direction coming out of China.
1: Yeah, this is the this is as massive in a disruption in industry as any we're going to see in the next ten years. Is what's happening to the auto industry today? It's just fascinating. Yeah, well,
0: fantastic. Thank you for listening, everybody. This has been a fantastic discussion, a great conversation. Uh, We're always always having fun, Mike. This is great,
1: Nikiso. Thank you, (laughs) Uh, and um, we'll look forward to. you know, sharing a few more podcasts with you soon, but um, hopefully you're enjoying what you're hearing from us. We're getting some great feedback. So please don't forget to subscribe and to give us a good rating if you're liking what you're hearing.
0: Exactly. Couldn't have said it better. Uh, Please find us on your favorite podcast channels. And uh, as Mike said, subscribe, give us five stars, leave us comments, send us emails, uh, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you and have a good night.